think about the concept of rare. It's often synonymous with unique, valuable, precious. But what about in the context of disease? Rare diseases are defined as having an extremely low prevalence, yet an estimated 30 million Americans have one. That's one in 10 people. Listen as we uncover some of the inspiring stories of lives touched by rare disease and see how in the end, we all have rare in common. I'm your host, Andrew Stratton, and I have a rare disease. Since my diagnosis with partial lipodystrophy at age 37, I've become a voice for my community, first through the creation of the patient foundation, Lipodystrophy United, and now through public outreach and national awareness campaigns. Today, we're speaking with Lauren and Josea Rosenberg, who are new to the rare disease community. Their daughter, Sophie, was diagnosed with multicentric carpotarsal osteolysis syndrome, otherwise known as MCTO, just a few short months ago. In this short time, they have already founded Sophie's Neighborhood and are funding research for this ultra-rare disease. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Josea. It's just a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having us on the show. Yeah, thank you. We're happy to be here. I am thrilled to meet you and to welcome you into the rare disease family. And I say that with often with a lot of trepidation because it's not a club that a lot of people want to join. But that said, if one needs to join the rare disease community, um, having support, I think, is is really beneficial. So for that reason, we always warmly welcome new members. We appreciate that. We've definitely associated this with exactly what you just said. Not a club that we offered to join or had anticipated joining, but now that we're here, we are greatly appreciative of the people that are welcoming us and teaching us and guiding us, like yourself and others. So thank we you. need to be at it now. So tell me how you got here. Gosh, our daughter was a healthy, happy baby for a long time and reaching all of her milestones, nothing, no question marks until she reached just past the one year mark. And she showed no signs of wanting to get up on her feet. And um, which was odd for her because she seemed like every other milestone, she was ahead of the game. She was interested and, but we didn't want to make too big a deal out of it too soon while also cautiously talking to her pediatrician and seeing if we should look into a variety of things, which we did. So from the time she turned basically 13 months through 18 months, we, we began examining something. We looked at her hips and we looked at doing some more microarray genetic testing, came back negative. We then eventually went to an orthopedist who looked at her feet and looked at her ankles and thought maybe that they looked, to me, they looked like cute little chubby baby's feet, but suggested that we do an x-ray of her feet, of her ankles. And that is what at the age of 18 months really led us to know, okay, this is the issue. There's inflammation in her ankle joints and there's a bone in her right foot, the talus bone that's underdeveloped. They didn't understand why. They didn't have any understanding of why that bone looked the way that it did and had never seen that before. But they sent us to rheumatology because of inflammation and thought, there's a good chance this could be arthritis. And so when we got to rheumatology, it was basically just decided that that's what she had. There was really no other understanding of what was going on. 
And this was as she was approaching the age of two, we started her on some arthritis medications, anti-inflammatories. This is so much happening. So much. So your daughter's name is Sophie, right? Sophie, yes. And is Sophie your first child or do you have others? Sophie's our first. First of many. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm so impressed. First child and you're learning new milestones. And I mean, a 12-month-old, I don't know. It's so hard. It, as a new mom, I, I remember you do tend to compare yeah. and say, what is my kid doing compared to everyone else's kid? But what made you feel like, okay, now this is not only not what the other kids are doing, but something I want to talk to my doctor about. Yeah. And it's funny. I wasn't even that concerned. It wasn't even the comparing. It was more like I was comparing her to her own precociousness and abilities that she had shown us already. And it was like, wow, this just doesn't seem like her. She's like a fighter, even though we didn't know she had to be. And I'm just shocked that she doesn't want to get up on her feet. Well, I also want to add that um, we noticed mm-hmm. it almost seemed painful. painful. Yeah, like when we she tried. Would climb up our dog's kennel and get up on her feet. It was funny for her to climb into where he sleeps and then get up, put her head through the roof. And then she would start screaming. Got it. Mm-hmm. And it was it was really weird. And we're like, right. is she scared? Right. Is she afraid of heights? You just want to come up with a reason for these things. And it just, that was a real head scratcher. Like she's crying when she's like. I see. So in her way, she was communicating with you. She was telling us. And you were just listening and watching. And then also over time, um, she started walking on her knees. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she was a knee walker for probably almost a year. We'd go to the restaurants and she'd be on her knees on the hard floor and like would really put up a fight if we tried to get her on our feet. And it was just so strange. And we right. started like trying to figure out what the hell was going on because why why wouldn't she want to be on her feet? That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I could see if she just was had always walked on her knees, you would have just said, okay, well, I guess she's just going to take a while. And on her own time, but it was the regression. Right. And I think that's such an important sign um, and, and hard, right. right. Hard to know. Are we overthinking this? Yes. That was something that pained me. I was like, oh my, am I just being too nervous as a new mom and trying to take this too far and get answers or is there something going on? And it, it's, it's always a balance before you know really what's happening. It sounds like you had a physician or many mm-hmm. that was receptive to, to your, mm-hmm. your conversation. Yes, very. We are so grateful for those people in our community that helped us get to where we needed to be. Absolutely. So that was, I interrupted you in the medical stuff, but I really wanted to take a step back. So now Sophie is two years old about, right? And you started some medication? Yep. Okay. So we we started her on some anti-inflammatory medication and also had her doing physical therapy and OT and wearing um, some orthotics, some braces that kind of went all the way up to her shins, um, giving her that support. A week before her second birthday, she started walking and she was able to do it without the assistance of holding on to anything. She still required her braces, but she was actually able to start walking, which was amazing. And we saw that her inflammation had had really gone down. It seemed like it had almost entirely gone away. We actually added another medication into her 
routine that after starting that medication, it entirely went away. And so she eventually ended up in a position where she could walk around without her braces as well. Oh, wow. So you're like, fantastic. She's back to quote unquote normal or close to, and you've thought, okay, well, this is something we'll watch, but essentially problem solved-ish. Yes. Yeah, we were very happy. We finally felt like we had broken through and figured it out. But so lurking in the back of our minds was the x-ray, the original x-ray that said there was an underdevelopment in this bone and we should keep track of that because we're not sure why it looks like this. Also, just as a kind of a little gray cloud over us, there's not an actual positive or negative test for arthritis. Right. It's a clinical diagnosis. You want to believe it, but it's like, man, we don't really know. And we're kind of like just saying, okay, this fits. So we'll just go with it. It fits. And there was a treatment that seemed to work. So. Right. So it makes sense. You know, you're, you're good. So what told you that you were not at a happy ending approach to this? The entire time, even while we were having success treating arthritis, we had been sitting on a waiting list to see genetics. That was something that each of the doctors along the path suggested. And so, um, you know, while we had done some genetic testing, we did a microarray and some others prior to that, that all came back with negative results, you know, no diagnosis. Um, it was still, we had been sitting on a waiting list and we finally got in when she was two and a half. So six months after she started walking and things seemed like they were okay, aside from these strange x-rays. And we got into see genetics. The genetic counselor basically looked at her, just like looked at her and her chart. And she was like, okay, she's a candidate for whole exome sequencing. It is possible that there is a genetic disorder going on that's causing this, but I can't tell you what it is because I've never seen it. Lauren, do you think that that was because of Sophie's physical appearance from head to toe or just the x-rays? Yeah. Some other things we've always noticed how tiny her nose is and everybody loves how cute it is. I mean, she's always kind of had these little bags under her eyes. That's just her face. We've always thought it's just her face, but everyone that has ever met her since she was a newborn has commented on how small her nose is. And that was one of the things that the geneticists mm-hmm. said can be a facial deformity no mm-hmm. people can. think of deformities as something that's really ugly or you know odd in this case it's a deformity that makes her look extra cute <laughs> right she was able to look at her hands and her thumbs but through the eye of a geneticist yes. or genetic counselor she could see her thumbs weren't in the right place which to our eyes that we had no we could not tell that and your physician had never pointed that out either, correct? No. Yeah. No. Things looked a little different with her, but but they thought that was arthritis driven. It's mm-hmm. just not like her hands, her feet are small. And again, mm-hmm. they thought maybe because of the inflammation, inflammation the, bones down the bones growing as quickly. And she wasn't using her hands and her feet right. as much as a kid that age would. And you need to use your bones and muscles for them to grow. I think that is such an important point. As parents, sometimes our instincts are not trusted by others because first of all how do we all have that much knowledge in our head but that being said physicians look for horses not zebras but geneticists look for zebras not horses yep so your access to being able to see a genetic counselor and have that individual put eyes on sophie I think is so crucial. Thanks for sharing that part of the story. 
absolutely it is it was critical and we agreed okay let's do this if this is what might give us an answer so we the three of us submitted our samples into whole exome sequencing and kind of did it and and we weren't we were expecting not to have a diagnosis we were thinking we knew what, what she had having no experience and no idea how odd her misshapen bones were because we were seeing she was walking and clinically looking um, like she was managing. We just didn't expect anything to come back. We just did it as a precautionary measure. Right. Because you had a diagnosis and you had a treatment. So right. yes. Okay. We'll look at this, but we had even seen at this point, all of the inflammation was completely gone, which we saw through ultrasound. We had felt even more confident, like, wow, we really just tackled this. We, we caught it. But we submitted the samples and we waited two months. And this brings us to March of this year. It's a little over two months, two and a half months. And, and again, just to reiterate before she goes any further, Lee, we just wanted to check this box yeah. and say, yeah. okay, we, we went down that road and there's nothing to worry about. And we're just going to keep treating this arthritis and her bones are going to end up just, just being a little fine, bit delayed. And that's that. Right. She'll catch up. We were totally convinced that that was going to be the outcome. Well, instead, we we got the phone call uh, that they wanted to talk to us, which I knew was not a good thing because I had said to them they could leave a voicemail if there's no diagnosis. And so we'll never forget this moment when we had the call. Phone call happened pretty quickly, but we were um, getting ready to go into a meeting at our restaurant. Yeah. And uh, we were sitting in the car together on speakerphone. And um, this was literally the same week that restaurants in Colorado were being shut down for COVID. Oh, my goodness. So COVID is already hit. You're already in like a really chaotic state. We were about to go into a meeting to talk about how do we deal with this? What do we do? You know, like our whole livelihood is up and up in the air at this point. And so it was already like oh my God, what is happening to the world? And then we get in the car and we talk and she just, just sort of blurts it out. She tells us it's multicentric carpotarsal osteolysis. And then it, in her mind, you know, the way I remember her saying it was, it's known as vanishing bone disease. And Lauren and I just looked at each other like, this has got to be a dream. We can't, this cannot be happening right now. You know, because instead of something that we're we're treating and it's getting better, she's basically telling us this is just the beginning and it's going to get worse and her her bones are going to disappear in her hands and her feet and possibly the rest of her body. And, and, and on top of that, there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. And there's no treatment and no cure and no way to stop it. And that she's only one of 30 people identified with it right now in the world. So as parents, that was about the worst thing we could ever hear, short of your kids about to die. Like this was yeah. like just imagining her not being able to walk or use her hands. It, it haunts us every day. Mm -hmm. Like there's not a day, Lauren, and I don't go to sleep and wake up looking at each other like how, how the hell is this happening to us and to her. To her. Did she give you a progression? Did she give you a timeline? Yes. There's just not enough data so the, on this disease. There's only a yeah. few patients and they're not really well studied. And so- we don't really know. We, we know what to expect, but we don't know what speed at which it's going to be happening. We were handed a stack of literature on the disorder. There's probably 13 papers that have been published about it to date. And it wasn't until 2012 that the gene itself, the MAFB gene, was identified as the one causing the disorder. So there's a mutation 
on that gene that causes this. But the issue that still exists and that hasn't been further studied is the underlying mechanism of what's going on to cause that to mutate um, and cause this phenotypic response. So what's amazing to me is that, I mean, we're just a few months from that, that phone call um, right now. And you all sound like citizen scientists in NCTO. How are you balancing like processing the diagnosis and getting to this point at the same time? It, it's been really hard. It's, it has not been an easy time for us, but it's important to us to try to maintain some kind of happiness. And because she is exuding happiness right now, and we just want to keep that going. And it's been really hard. But I think the thing that is helping me cope the most, helping us, is is immediately we sprung into action instead of drowning in the depths of despair which we very well could do. And in certain ways, we, we feel that. But we sprung into action and we started our foundation and we decided we were going to dedicate ourselves. The way I'm built, and I know Lauren's very similar, that if I don't, I'm like a shark, if I don't keep swimming, I'm going to die. And for me, when I stop and start really thinking about this, a lot of times it's like when I'm going to sleep, um, I get lost in my thoughts and it gets really, really dark. But I'm a person of action and I, I got to keep, I just got to keep moving forward and accept it for what it yeah. is, even though it's really hard to accept this. Yeah. If we don't keep pushing and just making little strides, like I, I have talking about a roller coaster of emotions. Like we've done a few fundraisers now. And every time I connect, like this morning, I connected with some people that I really wanted to get in touch with that will offer up some packages that we can sell off. For an you get this little feeling of success yep. and it's like, all right, I did something and I made a positive mm-hmm. move. This didn't stop her bones from right. from dissolving, but at least it's, part of it's something. We talked to a, a mother of a patient, of a kid who has a really bad disorder, and she said to us, you know, a lot of good things, but one of them was, you have to be okay at the end of the day that, that you did everything you could. And regardless of where things end up, you have to be okay with what you did. And we're doing yeah. so much. And Lauren is just so impressive, and she's been this like nucleus for all these doctors and scientists and researchers and people like yourselves who are helping us on this journey and getting the word out. And if Lauren wasn't such a go-getter, I think we'd be in much worse shape right now. I can tell you that it's no easy feat and it's a lifetime of learning a new disease and learning about nonprofit advocacy and to do that in COVID mm-hmm. right. as individuals in the restaurant business is really seems like extraordinarily superhuman. And I believe that rare disease families are superhuman, but this is this is feeling like you're 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 going a little extra on this, Lauren. We yeah. are. And I'm impressed. It's it's comedic. It seems, yeah, it, it seems impossible that all these things are happening at once. So how's Sophie in all of this? God, it's it's just really ironic because she's just been great. Um, she's pretty happy. She rarely complains of pain. Every so often she'll bump. If she bumps her hand or her foot, it hurts much more than it should. Right. Um, but uh, for the most part, she is active. She's able to walk. She isn't able to climb stairs or jump or hop. 
Um, but she is able to get around. She can do arts and crafts with her hands. Like she can, you know, color things, but you know, we can kind of see her grip isn't, isn't very strong uh, on things, but at the same time, it's pretty manageable and she's adapting. And we call this a miracle window for her because her symptoms are not yet so severe. Um, and we want to hold on to what she's got as much as we can, but we know this is progressive and we know what it looks like in kids as they get older. Um, and we just want to stop that. Does she communicate, um, that she notices what's happening to her body? No, I think she's She's starting to figure things out because she watches TV and she sees other kids play and in some ways it's almost a little bit of a relief right now that we're all quarantined because I feel so bad for her and this is probably me projecting but you know when she sees other kids running down the street or climbing up the jungle gym I feel so bad for her Mm -hmm. I I have to imagine she notices that you know this kid's like smaller than me why can't I do this Mm -hmm. Um, but she never like cries about it she doesn't like come to us and just really lose it right you know when she needs to get up the stairs she just asks for help she's yeah like, daddy please help me as lauren said she's adapting so we think she's built with a strong constitution and mm-hmm. she'll be able to kind of deal with this throughout her life it's gonna suck at times mm-hmm. but i don't think she's gonna just turn into a really depressed little kid and not not ever want to leave the house right. you know, i just don't think that's who she is right from my observation i mean kids are just amazing and they manage the adaption so much faster and more positively, I think, than we do. And I'm sure we could have a whole conversation about that. Do you have thoughts of talking with her about it? Or are you just not even ready to get there? We have thoughts, but then we don't want to scare her. There's a lot of things we need her to do to manage what we can about this disorder, even though there's no actual treatment that's effective in treating or curing this. There are certain things that we need to be still doing, like getting her labs done, administering some injections, taking some medications, doing taking her vitamins. There are things we still need her to be able to do, and, and I don't want to make it look bigger. Obviously, you've learned and we know that in rare disease, often the impetus is to, to really take any action is on the patient or the family. So um, you you clearly got onto that and and started a, a foundation, right? Yeah, uh, we've been um, pretty shocked. You know, we're so used to you go to the doctor, they tell you what you have, you get a prescription, you go and we take it, you feel better. That that's that's been my whole world of understanding when something's not right, and it just is mind blowing that in order for us to get help for our daughters. We have to be entrepreneurs. We have to start a foundation. We have to raise millions of dollars and advocate and understand genetics, cutting edge science, technologies, have an understanding for the politics around it. Um, all the steps that you have to take to even dream about making a treatment come to life or even a repurposed treatment that is already approved potentially that we could find that could work for the disorder. But to even get to that point, it just is nothing short of insane. So the idea is daunting of all that you have to learn, right? But but like, okay, we're going to do it um, and let's do it. 
so the fact that you have a foundation up and running isn't completely uncharacteristic for you, right? Yeah. We have experience in starting businesses um, and knowing the different things that you must do in order to get a business off the ground. It's wild to compare that to our daughter's life. But not just any business. The restaurant business is notoriously difficult. It's, It's wrought with like unknowns and a lot of variables and a lot of liability. And in order to make that succeed, you have to juggle a lot of balls all the time. And this is very similar. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we're, yeah, we don't feel lucky at all, but we do feel like we're equipped for this. Mm-hmm. And, and right. if this had happened to me when I was in my early 20s, I would have completely failed to be able to know what to do and, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. really had a much tougher time. And, you know, not, not to say this is easy at all, but at least we feel like we have the strength and mm-hmm. the brain power and, and the, the life experience. The support we do, yeah, it takes a village, that. like the support that we have around us and our community and our families and our friends and the people that we're meeting in this community that we're new to that have already reached out um, to extend help. All of that gives us the strength combined with, you know, our previous experiences. And I, I had a friend tell me something that I thought I've been holding on to I thought was a really interesting way to look at it. But she said that my whole life, I've actually been preparing for this. Lauren, that's how I felt, actually. Not in the first three or four months of my diagnosis, like you. I was not nearly as as hyper aware of that. But over time, I realized. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about specifically what you, you've already had a few fundraisers. What are you doing now with the foundation? We've had a few fundraisers to get our momentum going. We're doing silent auctions that are all online that people can participate in across the country. And we're gathering amazing experiences and items that people can bid on throughout the course of a day from the comfort of their own home. So that on top of other smaller grassroots little programs have been helping us with the fundraising to date. Our next auction is on August 15th. Saturday all day, people will be able to text Sophie to a code 243725 and get a link back. And then you can register in advance if you want, browse, the the items will be listed on a rolling basis. And then on August 15th, it gets turned on and and the bidding will go through the whole day. And all the funds that are raised will be designated for research. Is that correct? Designated for research, exactly. And so that is our primary mission for our foundation. So we've connected with a few families around the globe at this point with this syndrome. So they are all very grateful for this work because it's going to help them. It is our hope that the work that we do could help disorders with other similar pathways. And we expect the research that we do to be published publicly, but we just want to be able to get it started. And we need this funding in order to put everyone to work that we have lined up. Where are you now with that research? We have a few few things happening at the moment. We connected right away with a researcher down in Sydney, Australia, actually, um, who had published a particular paper that was really helpful to us when we were learning about Sophie's disorder. And he was one of the people that actually discovered the, the gene that the MAFB gene that was causing this disorder. And so he had begun research with one of his PhD students and it was a collaboration in understanding what was happening. And what they did 
discover in my conversations is that very likely there's something going on that actually is not osteolysis, which is basically the bone breakdown, the, the resorption that happens in bone as you're growing. So we need to be able to put them back to work on this model that they had started to really examine where this is coming from, if that is the case, if that's not the case, what is happening. So there's there's so many missing puzzle pieces that are very complicated. And so one of our major research projects is to hopefully put this team back to work. In addition to that, we are so grateful we have this group at our local children's hospital, Colorado, that there's this clinic that just developed right around the time we got Sophie's diagnosis. It's multidisciplinary group of doctors that have all of the specialists that Sophie needs for her disorder. So an endocrinologist, a nephrologist, an orthopedic person, as well as a nutritionist. So she has this group right here that's super qualified, even though they haven't seen the disorder before, but to learn. And we're going to be working with this group and actually funding some of their work to look into what we need for natural history of this disorder. So looking at retrospective data, aligning what we're learning from the genotypes and matching that up with the phenotypes that are occurring for patients that have been published and new patients that we're learning from. So the fundraising that we're doing has to support all of these projects so that they all sort of work together and one day we can start testing drugs against molecules against the mouse and what we're doing in culture. And maybe one day or definitely one day we're going to discover something and whether that be something that we end up repurposing. Uh, uh, do you have uh, a target amount for each year that you're looking to fund right now? Our target is $2 million for the year. That was suggested to us from someone else that had been down this road as a good achievable goal. To date, we've raised a little over $250,000. So we're really, really working hard on the fundraising front to gain more traction. Tell me why I've been wanting to ask. Why did you name the foundation Sophie's Neighborhood? I I kind of came up with that. It was kind of two part. One, you know, this whole idea of it takes a village for Sophie, we had already needed the support of so many people. She's got all these therapists and doctors. Even before we had her diagnosis, that was her neighborhood. She's a very neighborly person. She always waves to people walking around. That she's never literally been. everyone that, we, that walks past her house. <laughs> she's outside. Um, and that's the, amazing. Also, at the time, she still kind of is, but she was really into Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. It was one of her favorite shows oh, on TV on PBS. Yep. And so it all just sort of sank into my brain right when we were thinking about all of this. And yeah, that's how we came up with the name. Well, how you're describing to me, your journey feels very much like a neighborhood in that you have connections, you have a, a prominent restaurant in the neighborhood and a, a place in the community. So it feels to me like you've expanded your community much larger than you thought you would, but it feels like you've got a community. We've contributed to a lot of fundraisers and a lot of other causes like causes yeah that, that where we've helped and it's always been altruistic we've never expected anything in return to me that's part of being in the community being a, a gathering place you have to help people when they're in need and we've contributed greatly to a lot of causes and we never thought we'd have to call those favors and i would never guilt anyone into helping if people can't do it right now that's fine but we've had so many other people just kind of reach out, just seeing things we posted online or reading about an article that was in the newspaper. And they said, Hey, we know who you are. We want to help. 
again, we've lucked out because we've done so much for other people in the past that it's those favors are being returned now. The amount of progress that I fully believe you will be making in the next, let's say, 12 months is remarkable. And I'm so excited for it. And I'm really looking forward to watching Sophie in her neighborhood and her journey, because I think this is going to really add to her being just an incredibly special kid. We believe that too. So thank you. She is special. She's going to be her own unique person, just like everybody else. And she'll, she'll manage challenges that come her way. We really appreciate all of that and, and all the neighbors that care about her uh, far and wide. It's a, it's a wide, it's a big neighborhood at this point. We're grateful. She told me something the other day, which is actually going to be my motto for a while. Every time I get to work, I put on my, my shoulder bag and I say bye. And so she like grabs a paper bag and puts it over her shoulder. I'm going to work now. But she was working and um, I, she was being extra cute and I asked her if I could have a hug. And she turned to me and she goes, Daddy, it's not hugging time. It's working time. <laughs> and so, you know, right now for us with her, it's, you know, we play and we have a lot of fun, but we're always working for her. And yeah, she doesn't know working. that right now, but it's, we're trying to mix that joyful time of her being a kid and special and let her have that. And we're going to do all the work to make sure she can keep doing that. Yep. That is the most poignant yeah. statement yeah. that she could have said. Right. I mean, you're right. It's funny. And I love to laugh. Yeah. But I really want to sit with that and and what that means for you. And yeah. There's a little hugging time, but it's working time. There's gonna be plenty of hugging time, but first the work and then we hug. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, I'm gonna be watching you work until I get to see you all and actually hug you and most importantly, hug Sophie. Um, please keep us posted. I'm, I mean, this is just the very beginning for you. And uh, I know that you have a, a big support system that I think has just gotten a little bit wider. And, and we'll be watching. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rare in Common podcast. If you enjoyed the program, You can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Rare in Common. Click. Listen. Feel.